Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Therapy Chat Podcast, episode 337. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Today's episode is sponsored by Trauma Therapist Network. Trauma Therapist Network is a platform for finding a trauma therapist, learning about trauma, and understanding about how trauma shows up in our lives and what the healing process can look like. Go to www.traumatherapistnetwork.com to learn more. This week's episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now, for all you prescribers out there... Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Use coupon code CHAT or click the link in the show notes to get two free months at therapynotes.com. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan. I am pretty upset about what's been happening recently. 20 years ago, I started my career in a sexual assault crisis center and sexual and all gender-based violence is about power and control. That means homophobia, transphobia, racism, violence rooted in any of those is about power and control. Decisions that men make about what women are allowed to and not allowed to do with their bodies is about power and control. Overpowering someone and doing what you want to do to their body without their consent is about power and control. Sexual violence is a tool of oppression. And removing legal protection for individuals' autonomy over their bodies is oppression. Women and those with uteruses in the United States have never had equal rights. I mean, during the decade that I was born is when women gained the right to, and this is the 1970s we're talking about here, gained the right to choose whether or not they wanted to continue a pregnancy. And gained the right to have credit in their own names, to own property. Those rights were not protected by the Constitution before the 70s. Individuals who are Black, Indigenous, and people of color in the United States have never had equal rights. Black people 
and people of color and indigenous people face barriers to employment, housing, upward mobility, financial independence today. That's not acceptable. BIPOC women and those with uteruses, especially those with limited financial means, will be harmed the most by the decision to overturn Roe versus Wade, which will result in many states not allowing women to make a choice about whether or not to continue a pregnancy. Survivors of sexual violence will be deeply impacted by restrictions on access to reproductive health care. In case you didn't read the fine print, marriage equality is next on the chopping block if the Supreme Court follows the same path. They want to outlaw contraception. I'm hearing some congressmen say that they want contraception to be outlawed. I'm more clear than ever that trauma therapy is political. We therapists working with trauma survivors are working with people who are very vulnerable. And I will not be silent for the children and adults who have been raped by family members and became pregnant who were impregnated by rapists who weren't in their family, and for anyone who's made the decision not to continue a pregnancy for their own reasons, that I trust that they can make their own decisions and I don't need to control other people's decisions because that is none of my business. I'm not going to stand by quietly and allow us to be dragged back into the 1950s. For my friends, family, and colleagues who love who they love, I'm standing up for LGBTQ plus rights. I don't always say explicitly that the lens through which I practice is a social justice lens, but I hope it comes through that that's where I stand. It's inherent in my work as a social worker and my personal values. And when I speak about trauma, I'm speaking about it from a perspective that it's a social justice issue. I'm saying this explicitly now because I realize that I haven't spoken up as publicly as I do privately. And I know that therapists learn and, and come to this work from various disciplines, counseling, marriage and family therapy, psychology, and social work. And some therapists say that we're supposed to keep our personal biases out of therapy and not take a political stance. I agree that we should not push our beliefs on our clients, but social justice is not a political view. It's, a, it's about human rights. I am biased in favor of social justice. I don't need my clients to vote for the same person I vote for. I don't need my clients to agree with abortion, but I know that they deserve the right to make their own decisions about that, and laws should not take that power away. The NASW Code of Ethics is very clear on the responsibility of social workers to be change agents. And so I'm going to quote from the preamble to the NASW Code of Ethics. The primary mission of the social work profession is to enhance human well-being and help meet the basic human needs of all people with particular attention to the needs and empowerment of people who are vulnerable, oppressed, and living in poverty. Social workers are sensitive to cultural and ethnic diversity and strive to end discrimination, oppression, poverty, and other forms of social injustice. These activities may be in the form of direct practice, community organizing, supervision, consultation, administration, advocacy, social and political action, policy development, and implementation, education, research, and evaluation. The mission of the social work profession is rooted in a set, a set of core values. These core values, embraced by social workers throughout the profession's history, are the foundation of social work's unique purpose and perspective. And these core values are service, social justice, dignity and worth of the person, importance of human relationships, 
integrity, and competence. And that's from the preamble of the NASW Code of Ethics. Our clients with marginalized identities will be impacted the most by the recent Supreme Court decisions, and for that reason, I will not be a silent bystander. Most trauma therapists I know are discouraged, disheartened, and afraid for ourselves and our clients in light of the recent decisions of the Supreme Court and the rising violence in this country, including political violence. We've been talking about those feelings for a while here at Trauma Therapist Network. We hold space in the community for therapists feeling hopeless, powerless, and exhausted because we know that together we're stronger. So I'm even more determined than ever to support trauma therapists so they can keep doing their important work because these oppressive policies are very disheartening. So it's about how do you come back to center when events of the day, week, year throw you off balance and what your values are. You can reconnect to the empowered, wise, highest self inside of you, not allowing this, these attempts to crush our spirits. To succeed in doing that is a form of resistance in itself. In trauma therapy, we help our clients reconnect to their empowered, wisest selves. And it's really hard to do that when we're feeling hopeless and helpless. So if you're feeling discouraged, please don't give up. Your voice matters. If you feel more centered, please speak up. If you're not centered and grounded, do what you need to do so that you can feel better. And then please speak up. These extreme positions that are being taken by certain people in, in public life are, they don't represent all of us. And the more people who speak out and say, that's not right, the more likely that people's human rights will be protected, whether it's in laws or Supreme Court decisions, something's got to change. Now that I have told you that going to go ahead and tell you about this week's episode, which I'm very excited about. We've been doing a lot of replay episodes recently, but this is a new episode. So of course, last week you heard my interview with Gabor Mate. And the week before that, it was Donna Jackson Nakazawa's interview, both talking about trauma and physical and mental health. So this week we have Dr. Amy Apigian talking about the biology of trauma. So this week our conversation about trauma and health continues with an interview with Dr. Amy Apigian, a functional medicine doctor, about the biology of trauma and how this piece is often omitted from trauma treatment. She explains why healing is incomplete without the physiology of trauma being addressed. She describes what's happening in the body when someone's in a chronic state of freeze and shares information about her upcoming annual biology of trauma summit featuring Dr. Gabor Mate, who was, again, my guest last week in that replay episode, and many other experts in the field of functional medicine and the physiology of trauma. Now, Dr. Amy's biology of trauma summit is actually open now for registration. And uh, there's a link in the show notes. Dr. Amy is a double board certified medical physician in both preventive and addiction medicine and holds double, double master's degrees in biochemistry and public health. She's the leading medical expert on addressing stored trauma in the body through her signature model and methodology, the biology of trauma, a new lens that courageously uplevels the old methods of trauma work in medicine by reverse engineering trauma's effects on the nervous system and body on a cellular level. Dr. Amy specializes in trauma, attachment, and addictions after having personal experience in foster parenting, adopting, and then having her own health issues that were a result of childhood and life experiences. In addition to her medical studies that have included functional medicine certification, she has sought out trauma therapy training since 2015. 
Dr. Amy founded a nonprofit called Family Challenge Camps and developed and ran weekend intensives for families with children who have experienced attachment trauma. She's currently the founder and CEO of Trauma Healing Accelerated, where she bridges the two worlds of functional medicine and trauma therapy with a mission to help adults accelerate the healing journey by addressing the biology of trauma that keeps stored trauma stuck in the body, mind, and spirit. And she has a provider certification course that teaches providers to do the same for their clients. Very excited to bring you my conversation with Dr. Amy. I really appreciate her perspective on teaching about trauma where she shares her own experiences as a guide. I want to mention to you real quick a couple things. One is that before we get into my interview with Dr. Amy, Trauma Therapist Network membership is reopening in July. In fact, when you hear this, it'll be July. And if you want to join Trauma Therapist Network, feel free to get on the waiting list. The link is in the show notes or go to traumatherapistnetwork.com and click on get listed as a therapist and you'll find the waiting list. Sign up there. The waiting list is going to get first first chance to sign up and then I'll open it up to everybody else. So if you want to be the first to know, please go ahead and sign up on the waiting list. And then I also wanted to tell you that Trauma Chat season two is coming this summer and it's going to be focused on sexual trauma because as I've been mentioning, if you've been paying attention past few episodes, Erica Shershon, LMFT, who is the author of the Healing Sexual Trauma workbook, and I are co-creating a course on healing sexual trauma that's going to be released in September 2022. Can't wait for that because people have been asking for a course on healing sexual trauma for a long time. So I can't wait to tell you more about that when the date gets closer. But in the meantime, I hope you're taking gentle care of yourself. I hope you're remembering your inner power and strength and doing what you need to connect within. I'm doing the best I can to do the same. And let's go ahead and learn about the biology of trauma from Dr. Amy Apigian. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I'm so happy to be interviewing Dr. Amy Apigian. Amy, thank you so much for being my guest today. Absolutely, Laura. I'm super excited about this conversation today. I think this is really going to surprise some people and, and bring them into a whole new world that they hadn't seen before. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. So I've seen so much of your work out there and I've been really interested in it. The first thing I saw from you, I think, was like a video where you demonstrated what it's like to be in freeze. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is so cool. So that's the first I learned about you. And when I got really interested in just like, oh, she's doing something a little different here. So let's, I'll give you a chance to tell our audience more about who you are and, and what you do. Oh, that's interesting that you remind me of that video. Yes, I did do that video. And, and it was, I mean, this has been my journey, right, Laura? Like I, I just, I'm going on my own healing journey and I'm just sharing what I'm experiencing and learning along the way. And it's helping people. And I'm like, cool. Awesome. <laughs> right? Like, I'm glad that my experience can serve you. Yeah. It's, it, it's uh, been a, a healing journey. And I guess one Laura that I didn't even know that I needed at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So I was one of those who, yeah, I mean, sure. I grew up in a, you know, a, a unique family, right? Like, I think we can all say that our family was, was a little, you know, unique, different, dysfunctional in some ways, 
But if you would have asked me, you know, trauma, I've been like, no, absolutely not. There was no abuse. There was no neglect. No. And so what was part of my journey then was when I started having all of these health symptoms and health conditions that because of my medical training, I knew were related to adverse childhood experiences. And it just started asking, like, I, I started asking questions. Why would I, why, right? Just why, hmm, why would like I? adverse childhood experiences and me. Exactly, what? exactly. So either those health symptoms and conditions like truly aren't just related to adverse childhood experiences or we're, we're missing a piece that we don't understand what's happening in those adverse childhood experiences that actually pertain to a lot more people than what that is catching. So I, I started asking questions and I started digging deeper into it. By then I had been uh, pretty involved in the trauma space because I was about six years earlier, I had adopted a son from the foster care system. And I went into that experience knowing that, you know, hey, he's had a really rough life. He came to me when he was four. And I knew that he was still young enough that I could undo a lot of that damage by my love, right? And just loving the heck out of that kid and helping him see the potential and the greatness that I saw in him. And I, I started to see that many people have that view of, of trauma, of life experiences of, hey, it's just emotional, it's psychological. And so therapy will fix it. Um, a good, you know, um, a good home, a good relationship. I see people getting into romantic relationships with the expectation of, oh, they love me. This will, this will fix me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this will heal me. And every time I'm just like, oh, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to say anything because you're not open to it at this time, but whew, you've got, you've got some pain ahead of you. Right. And, and that's it, right? We, we all carry pain and haven't had the tools to know how to, how to undo that. We've, we wanted to, to make it go away and not realizing that, ah, actually we need to learn how to support it and actually see it as a gift and turn it into a gift rather than the crutch that it becomes for a lot, a lot of people. And so I went on my own journey and I was like, all right, so I've got, I've got these trauma patterns. By then I had been able to see that, you know what, my son has these tendencies, let's put it that way, these tendencies to push me away, to keep himself safe, to feel like he's, he's got to take care of himself because he can't trust anybody. And even though he was doing that on a much more extreme degree, I could see those patterns in myself. And I'm like, oof, something's here. And Mm. so then when I had my, you know, my health crash, which for me was a combination of chronic fatigue, uh, autoimmunity, uh, a lot of digestive issues, um, anxiety, depression, got started on two different uh, mood medications, because of course, that's the answer. It was my challenge to figure out what my body needed in order to get to, you know, kind of what I call my healing self, seeing that I had been operating from my trauma self without even knowing that I had a trauma self, without even knowing that I had this biology of trauma that was driving my life without me knowing it. And I, and I think back on my life and I, and I can see that 
you know, I, I would, um, I, I thought that I was doing okay, Laura, right? Like I thought that I was self-aware. I thought that I was very logical. I thought, I thought that I was connected with my body and I had no idea. I had no idea that I actually was not fully connected to my body, that I had developed bracing patterns from very early childhood to block off certain body sensations, felt sensations of not feeling safe, of feeling alone, of um, feeling like, yeah, like I've, I've, I've got to take care of myself. <laughs> I can't rely on anybody else. And there's bracing patterns and all kinds of what I call, uh, yeah, I mean, patterns just seems like the best word for me to use right now. Patterns that get formed into our developing nervous system that because our nervous system is still developing rather than it being an event that happened after our nervous system developed, it just becomes who we are. And we think that that is who we are without realizing, no, no, that's not who you really are. That is not your true self. That is your adaptations to life. Th those, are, those are your coping mechanisms, if you want to call them that way. But it becomes our physiology. And that's where a lot of people just haven't been able to take that step and been able to go all the way in their healing journey because they're still seeing it as just like, oh, I've got to work on my mindset. I've got to work on loving myself. Um, good luck with that one, by the way, right? If you're not working on your biology, there's no way <laughs> you can get to a place where you love yourself. And yet that's the common, the common idea still in, in trauma therapy. And so when I started my own trauma therapy, that was, that was my block. Like I just kept running into blocks. I'm like, why aren't I able to make more grounds? Why is this going so slow? Why do it, Why do I seem to be stuck? Mm -hmm. And, and that's when I started just experimenting with myself. And so experimenting with myself, and that's uh, how I started to discover all of this stuff, like the chronic freeze response, this dorsal vagal response. And for me, it was very much like I was my own experiment. Mm -hmm. And so I'm documenting all of this as I'm going along and starting to track like what seems to move the dial the most, what seems to really shift things in a way that makes them stick, Laura. Because I was one of those that would go to therapy and I may, you know, cry, have this big emotional release, which of course, talking with Peter Levine, he's like, oh yeah, that's because people become addicted to those emotional releases. It's not actually doing anything. They're just, a, that's just their, their addiction. And, and that's how they, they get that release. And so, but it doesn't stick right one day later, two days later, I'm still right back in that anxiety and I'm waiting for my next therapy appointment. <laughs> like mm -hmm. this is, this is not what I want for my life. This is not what I want for my life. And I knew that there was a better way. And so I, I just kept experimenting on my own self until I found that way for me. And then, yeah, I've started to share that with other people and it's been very valuable for other people as well. So that's, that's where I am now and, and teaching my certification course for practitioners. But then also I have, you know, I let people in who are just working on themselves because that's what I was doing at that time. And I call that track, take charge of my trauma. Um, because it does need a person to be in a very empowered place where they're ready to move out of the, I can't do anything about this. This is going to be me. This is just me. And I just need to learn to accept this. And I'm like, ah, ah, no, no. Right. Like, yes, accept where you are in the moment and don't settle. Yeah. There is such a better version of yourself that we can get you to. And let's, let's do it. Let's, let's put in the work. And I think that what a lot of people have um, told me that, that my work has kind of helped them with is like, they, they've done their endless searching of, of all the options out there. Like, what do I do? How do I do it? 
Um, is there is there a specific order that I'm supposed to do it in, or am I just doing this haphazardly? Am I just throwing things out there and seeing what lands? Like people are looking for like a roadmap where it's like you do this and then you do this, and and we have that because we understand trauma now. It's not something that that is that is still this you know mystery, and we don't know what's actually happening. It's like no, like on a physiology level. We understand exactly what the trauma response is. And so now we just get to work with our physiology to reverse engineer that. And when we combine that, the work on the physiology and the biology with the therapy modalities, like magic, magic happens, Laura. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, it is. Yes, it is beautiful to see like real healing, not just the type of you know, well, I just tell myself not to think about that or, exactly. you know, which is just very surface and it doesn't yes. last, it doesn't exactly. feel it's not embodied, you know? Right. Right. And it's one thing to tell yourself that, okay, I love myself. I accept myself. I am safe. And it's a very different thing to have that be a felt experience in your body. Completely yes. different. I remember and that's, that's the level that we need to get people. Yes, exactly. Cause I have talked to so many people even other therapists talking about helping clients and anybody, we are, you know, we all have trauma exposure in some way. But so when I say clients, I mean us, but it's like, you know, a sense of safety, a sense of safety, felt sense of safety is not, well, you're safe. Look around, you're safe. It's not that. I mean, you can orient to safety and see, am I really safe in this moment? But until you get that body response of feeling safe, it's not going to happen no matter how much you try to think. Right. But I have to ask you something because there was something you said and I pointed at you when you said it because I was like, what? You said in my medical training, I learned that these illnesses are related to adverse childhood experiences. And I'm like, what kind of medical training did you get? Because I do not hear any doctors saying that they learned about that in medical school. And I know you're a functional medicine doctor, so maybe that's why. Oh, that's a good question, Laura. So I would have to say that my my medical training was influenced strongly after I adopted my son. Ah. <laughs> so I had that lens. And so I was doing a lot of research myself at that time. Uh-huh. Saying that, the medical school that I went to, Loma Linda University, is a university that uh, kind of prides itself on the whole person view and the whole person care. And so I do think that I got more of that, more exposure to that than possibly other physicians in training. And then the uh, residency that I landed in, I started in general surgery residency, did three and a half years of general surgery, Laura, and then switched residencies to do trauma and make that my field of medicine, create my own niche, right? Because it doesn't exist in medicine. And I chose preventive medicine as my primary residency, and then also became board certified in addiction medicine. Mm. And the founder of the adverse childhood experience, the study is Dr. Vincent Folletti, and he is a preventive medicine physician uh-huh. and he ran the prevent, well, he, he developed, he formed the whole preventive medicine department at the Kaiser in San Diego, where this adverse childhood experiences study came out of his clinic. Mm-hmm. And so he was actually one of the reasons why I chose preventive medicine is because I knew that, Hey, if, if he is a preventive medicine doctor and he did all this work with adverse childhood experiences, then that makes sense 
for me to have that as my base. So then when I chose that residency, there was a little more opportunity to lean into that piece mm-hmm. because that is a recognized recognized foundation for preventive medicine. In fact, it's such an interesting story because that's how the average child experiences study started. He was running an obesity clinic, Laura. Mm-hmm. Obesity clinic. Why obesity clinic? Because medicine, right? With all of our amazing wisdom and knowledge, uh, the medical doctors had decided that, hey, look at all of these diseases that are causing people to die. Cardiovascular disease, meaning heart attacks, strokes, even cancers. Most of them, yes, most of them have at their root, this driving force of obesity and being overweight. And so they thought, ah, the solution, of course, clearly, like the solution is just to have people lose weight and not be obese. And then all the problems will be fixed and the world will be a happy place and no one will die of these, of these diseases. A lot of MDs still seem to think that. <laughs> it's such a simplistic model, Laura. And, it, and it's, it's almost like, for me, it was almost like the, oh, you're anxious and depressed. Well, clearly, clearly the solution is an antidepressant. <laughs> clearly the solution is an SSRI. And so it's like, oh, the problem, you know, the problem for these, for the mortality is obesity. Well, then clearly we just need to fix the obesity problem. So they designed a program that allowed people to drop a significant amount of weight over a year. And they, they are convinced that they were able to do it in a way that was safe physiologically, but it basically put somebody in a fasting state for a year. And they weren't able to eat real food. They were drinking shakes. Wow. I don't know how much work you've done with people who do any emotional eating, but that is not going to work. Right. <laughs> and that's what I know happened. the shakes don't work because, you know, no. back in the day, everybody was all oh, slim fast and, you right. know, and right. first of all, it tastes terrible and there's no satiation to it. No, no, exactly. And you don't and get to chew nothing to chew and you don't feel that fullness. Yeah. And for, for many people, the, the emotional eating is so much a part of kind of making contact with that vagus nerve that runs right behind the esophagus. Mm. So that's why you do feel better immediately after even taking just a swallow of liquid or food, because it is stimulating that vagus nerve all the way down the esophagus. But then you have all of the vagus nerve fibers that branch out over your stomach. And so the fuller your stomach gets, then also the more that that vagus nerve is having contact. And so that's where I really started to look even at my own experiences around emotional eating and being like, oh, I think this is how I help manage my anxiety or loneliness or discouragement or shame or pretty much any emotion that I don't want to feel. There's a simple solution and it's right there. And so- yeah, it, it was fascinating for them to see that the people who were losing the most amount of weight, so they were doing the program right, right? Like these are their success clients, patients, patients, they were patients. These are their success patients and they were the ones dropping out of the program and gaining all the weight back. And it bothered them, right? It, it didn't make them curious. Like these are medical physicians, right? Like these people are messing up my numbers. I am supposed to go back to, you know, the center for disease control and tell them, look at how successful this is. We are helping people lose weight. We're going to be able to now track the cardiovascular risk and the mortality. And so it was like, you can't mess up my numbers. Like, why are you messing up my numbers? (laughs) 
And Come so back they, here. You're supposed to be making me famous. Exactly. Exactly. And so when they brought the patients back in and they started asking them like, all right, what happened? Why, why did you leave the program? Why have you gained all the weight back? And they were very clear. In fact, these people seem to have more insight into their own process than, than the doctors at that time. And in, in different types of words, they would tell them that the weight is not the problem. That's my solution to the problem. And that's where they found that for them, a high percentage of them had had childhood sexual trauma of some sort, mm-hmm. of any sort. And that got them intrigued. So that's how the Average Childhood Experiences study even started, was realizing that, wait, we're trying to work with things on a medical side and not realizing that, no, like these are, talk about those felt experiences. We cannot tolerate certain degree of pain, whether that's emotional pain, physical pain, and the body, our brain has been able to fix on something that actually helps us tolerate those and bring down that intensity. And from my perspective now, it actually induces a chronic freeze response. It actually invites in that numbing effect that is key and central to the dorsal vagal response. And so that's, again, kind of then stimulated my own question into into my own life of like, all right, what else do I use? Obviously, I do use food. And what else do I use to bring in not feeling? not feeling certain things. And it's a whole, it's a long list, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dis- distraction, busyness, exercise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All kinds of stuff. Perfectionism. Perfectionism. I don't know about, not to say you, but just that's one of the yeah, big things exactly. that we can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Running a group private practice has been a challenging and rewarding experience. And one thing that has made it so much easier is therapy notes. Therapy notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. If you're coming from another EHR, like I did, Therapy Notes makes the transition incredibly easy, importing your demographic data free of charge so you can get going right away. My team has found Therapy Notes very easy to learn. It's intuitive. The customer support is second to none. And that's one of the things that has kept me a Therapy Notes customer for several years now. Anytime I've needed to contact Therapy Notes for help with an issue I couldn't figure out on my own, I've been able to get through to someone and resolve the issue within 15 minutes, 99% of the time. Find out what more than 100,000 mental health professionals already know. Try Therapy Notes for two months absolutely free. Just click on the link in the show notes or enter the promo code chat at therapynotes.com. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I'm so glad that you found a way to learn what you wanted to learn from that perspective, because it, I think, you know, nothing against the medical field, but it's so discouraging and frustrating how many physicians just still, you know, what, 30, um, 25 years after the adverse childhood experiences study was done, still don't even know about it at all. Yeah. And that's a real shame because I feel like that's been a big disservice for people. I'm actually working on a project with Dr. Vincent Paletti right now for figuring out how to bring this more into medical, just the standard medical client uh, appointment. Like let's just normalize this. And one of the things that we've, that he's figured out is that it really can't come from the top down. Like it needs to come from the bottom up. And so we're working on 
forming a assessment that we will put on the internet where people can download this, complete their own entire health assessment form that includes adverse child experiences, includes all of these things. And then they take that to their provider and they're asking them to, can, can we include this mm. in my care? At least even just a conversation or an acknowledgement of why my symptoms, why my health might be connected at all to earlier life experiences. And I also don't want people to get stuck on their number, right? Oh, I know. But it's such a distraction. It is. It is. And I and I feel like it's almost one of those labels that 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 people want to use, right? To, I'm to, an eight, <laughs> you know, or whatever, right? Yeah. Well, I'm an eight, so that's me. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's that's what they do, Laura. It's like, I'm an eight. What do you expect from me? And I'm like, I expect I vitality. I can see the potential for healing and it's possible. It's available to you. We don't have to settle. This is not, this does not have to be the rest of our life. Even though this has been our life up until now, this doesn't have to be the rest of our life when we apply the different tools, but uh, fascinating to talk with Dr. Vincent Filetti. I mean, he's just like a, a walking encyclopedia of stories of people and so for those people who are interested more in that, he is actually a speaker on my biology of trauma summit. Oh, cool. Which, yeah. Uh, the theme of that is going beyond the diagnosis, right? Going beyond the diagnosis, beyond the label, beyond, beyond yeah. let's, let's get to the real, the real root cause of things. Yeah. Because those labels and diagnoses are just information. And then when you have that information, you can actually begin, right. you know, it's the knowledge is power. Exactly. And the, the label, the diagnosis gives me information about the level of dysregulation in the nervous system, the level of, I want to, I want to use the words like physiology and biochemistry. Like it informs me so much about what's going on inside on a cellular level that we can clearly do something about. Like it really is not a, a life sentence at all. So in that sense, the diagnosis or label could be helpful, might be yeah. helpful. But it really is for me, it's just the starting place because then it's like, I know what that means about what's happening inside. And I know our leverage points in the physiology and biology that we can actually change. Yeah. So I, I'm, I wish we could talk so much more, but I don't want to try to, you know, eat the whole apple in one bite. When you talk about physiology and chronic freeze definitely has my interest because I feel like that's something that is so subtle. It doesn't look like anything. You know, we know what anxiety looks like. We know what depression looks like, but we could be walking around and freeze bracing, like you talked about in every aspect of our lives with no awareness of it. And so maybe with that as sort of like a frame, we could talk about, you know, how you approach working with people, you know, in the, in the different way that you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like that's why I've heard many similar comments about that one YouTube video that I did where I'm sitting there and I'm talking to you. And so how, how would you know? Right. And yet I'm telling you in the video, like I am in the freeze response right now Mm -hmm. (laughs) and this is what it feels like. This is what's going on. And that's why I loved it. it, Cause you were really sharing, not like if you're in freeze, it was like, I am in freeze. I was like, wow, thank you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so when, how do I work with people? Like, that's actually where I start. I want to understand their nervous system and by their nervous system, I'm looking at the three different states of the nervous system and how much time are they in each of those states? So we have the one state, which I guess I'll just start with, you know, the parasympathetic 
being the state where you are, you're at your best, you're with your best health. You're, you're not in the anxiety place. You're not in the depression place. You're in this place where you are alive. You're connected. You're curious. There's no fear. Like you're open, you're creative. It that's, that's our parasympathetic place. And even as I describe that, there are likely many people that are like, can't, can't relate. (laughs) I don't remember the last time I felt that. (laughs) And that's, and that's true. Most people are not living hardly ever from a parasympathetic place. So, uh, and I'll kind of just follow, follow the nervous system through its normal trauma response. In fact, just as I described the three states of the nervous system, because then we have the sympathetic state. And so anytime that there is any sense of a threat or danger, our system is designed. We can't stop it. It's not something that we have any conscious control over. It goes into sympathetic state. And that just means like it's on, it's bringing in information to better assess that threat or that danger. Do I need to respond? How do I need to respond? To what degree do I need to respond? How big is this threat or how small is it? Is it really a threat? And so our senses become heightened. So this would be hypervigilance. This would be like your, your eyes actually dilate. Again, you can't control that stuff, right? Like your eyes actually dilate so that you can take in more information from your environment to help assess very, very quickly. Is this a real threat? And what do I need to do to survive this? When, and this usually happens within 30 seconds, when your brain, your system decides, yep, this is a real threat then you go full-blown into sympathetic. And now that is your fight or flight. You've got adrenaline pouring out of, of your, you know, your, your hypothalamus and all these areas that release all these hormones. So it's a very physiological response that actually turns things up. It's talk about high metabolism, right? When you are actually stressed, your metabolism is skyrocket high, which means that you better have all of the nutrients to maintain that high metabolic state. Because if you're deficient in magnesium, if you're deficient in something, or you've got inflammation going on, it's not going to be able to sustain that high metabolic state. And you are creating, um, I mean, you're setting yourself up for going into the freeze response just because you can't maintain that high metabolic state. It's kind of like, you know, the, the sympathetic state, you know, is that fight or fight. And so if you're, if you're running, for example, if you're running a marathon, how long can you run without getting more nutrition, right? Like there's going to come a point where it's like, Hey, like I, 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 I'm done. Right. I, I, yeah, I've been able to do that, but I can't do that anymore. And our, our body's threshold of when it says it is done is more based on our cellular health, our nutrients, all, all of the state of the health of the nervous system going into that experience. So once you're in the middle of it, it's kind of too late. It's kind of too late. And that's what I kept finding with my own responses is like, every time I would go at that high into sympathetic, my system could not tolerate it. And it immediately dropped me into the freeze response. So the freeze response, or also known as the dorsal vagal response is our protection. It's our best protector that says, whoa, 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 you're not going to survive at that high metabolic state. I need to put on the brakes and I need to go into energy conservation mode to help you survive. Now we experience it as this feeling of being crushed, 
right? Like, and even just for that, right? Like I can feel my body going to like that, you know, like that shoulders down, head down. I'm protecting my stomach. Collapse. That is your freeze response posture. Some, some people feel like they want to curl up into a ball. That is the freeze response posture. And so when we feel that way, when that is our felt experience, that would be one way that we know that we've gone into the freeze response. We feel rather than feeling energized and I'm going to tackle this. It's like, this is too big. I have no idea what to do. This is too big for me. So that's the difference between a stress, which is sympathetic and the trauma response, which is this moment in which the body actually puts on the brakes and says, this is, this is too big for us. Our best method of surviving this is just to shut down, kind of retreat into ourselves and just try to ride it out. And so that's kind of what it feels like. It feels, it feels like you just kind of go flat, which interestingly enough, many mood medications make people feel flat. Like they actually make them go into a chronic free state. Mm-hmm. And, and so then you're just, you're just living on autopilot now and you're just going through the motions. You don't feel the joy, right? Like you don't get those sparks of, 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 I don't know, tingly happiness, Right. And because like your body, it doesn't have the energy for that. Mm. So your body literally has just gone into a energy conservation mode. Your metabolism slows down. Your gut becomes uh, much more permeable. So now you also have food sensitivities developing and gut inflammation, and that's traveling up your brain, causing some brain inflammation likely. And so now your whole nervous system is surrounded in this bath of inflammation. That is a strong message of danger, right? And so that's even promoting even more your system staying in this retreated, collapsed, overwhelmed state. And that's why it's, it's hard to break that unless you know what to do. Because many people will be like, oh, I'm just so exhausted. I'm so depressed. I'm so down. This is too much. Life has been too much. It's been too hard. It's just been so many things one, one time after another. And they don't realize all of these physiology that is keeping their system in that state. And so they try to go and talk about it, right? Or they, they turn on movies and binge watch movies, or they, they go to the food, they go to their comfort foods. And I mean, there's so many different things that, that we as humans do in order to tolerate and be in this freeze response state and, and try to try to get through, not realizing that we've got to address the biology and the physiology to even allow it to come out. So there's two things that the freeze response needs to come out of it. It does need time. It does need time. And that's where I have been doing a lot of experimenting over the years. And I would say that when, when I started, I mean, when I started Laura, like I was living chronically in freeze. Like, I don't think that there was a day that I didn't go into the freeze response. I just didn't know that it had a word. I just always felt exhausted and kind of just going through the motions. I'm putting a smile on my face. No one knows. Um, And then when I'm in private, then I kind of let myself go into that collapse and be like, oh, I'm so exhausted and tired and depressed. And this is all so much. But otherwise, you know, like you, you, you do like you can put a smile on your face, you can get through your day, or sometimes people end up kind of lashing out and just kind of pushing people away because like, I don't have energy for you, but I don't have the words for that. So I think that you're just irritating me. (laughs) So I'm going to lash out at you and push you away so that you don't irritate me because I don't have the energy to manage you. But as I started experimenting on myself, then I was able to get it down. My freeze response, get it down to about three days. And I was so proud of myself. 
And then I had a period of time where it's like, I didn't even go to the freeze response at all for two weeks at a time had never, had never happened. And then it would happen again. And I would be like, okay, why did it happen? Mm -hmm. And I realized like, just as much as sometimes it's emotional, it's also biological. If I ate something that caused all this massive inflammation again, that would be a reason to go into the freeze response. And so the more I experimented, the more I was able to identify all the things that would cause a person to go into the freeze response. And then what can we do when they are in that freeze response to help them come out? And I've been able to get it down to about two and a half days so that now when I, when I do have some, some trigger exposure or something, and I feel my system go there, it's like, I know I look at my calendar and I see what's, what's on my calendar for the next two and a half days. Cause I know that that's how long I'm going to be in that, ah, just really low energy collapse state and uh, just generally more, more negative, right? Because those are the thoughts that come with the freeze response. You can't, you can't change that. That's part of the physiology. So part of what the freeze response needs is time. Mm -hmm. And we can look at this in the animal kingdom, right? Like when a deer is being you know, chased and it goes into its freeze response, it's on a timer. And when that timer's up, it wakes up hopefully, right? Like we'll, we'll take that version of the story. <laughs> it wakes up and it's like, oh, I'm still alive. Awesome. Let me run away now. But you can see that there's this biological timer that mm -hmm. the freeze response has. It's the same thing in us. We have a biological timer and just because of all of these other mm, compounding factors, it's usually extended for us if we, when, when we do come out. The other thing that it needs is energy. So the reason why it went into the freeze response is because it did not feel like it had enough energy to support holding that much stress, right? It's like, imagine holding this huge rock, like huge boulder, right? Like how long can you hold that boulder before your arms give out and it crushes you? Holding the boulder is the sympathetic response. Mm -hmm. You're actively managing the stress in your life. You're, you're in it. You're responding to it. You're engaged with it. But the moment that you're like, oh my goodness, I can't do this anymore. Your arms give out and you feel that crushing weight of the, of the rock on top of you. That's the freeze response. And so if you had had more energy, you would have been able to hold that rock up longer, right? Yeah. And so that's the other thing that the freeze response needs to come out is it needs energy to come into the system to say, all right, you, you've got the energy now to come out of this and to go back into that. Uh, when we come out of the freeze response, we do go back into the sympathetic where we came from. And, and so now, now it's got the energy to come out. And this is where many people, again, just not understanding this trauma response and the physiology of it, they're not expecting to go back into the sympathetic when they come out of the freeze, they're hoping to go into parasympathetic. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, that's, that's not, that's not neurobiology. That's not, that's not honoring. Like that's not what the, the actual physiology of the trauma response is. And so many people, when they, when their biological timer is done, they come out of that freeze response, they go right back into that high anxiety. They, they, they don't have any new tools. They haven't done anything differently. So the threat, whatever the threat was, is still right there. And it looks overwhelming. They haven't known to do any of the biology pieces. And so that once again, their system is like, nope, can't handle this, can't handle this. And they go right back into the freeze response in the same day. And so this is where we talk about people living chronically in this freeze response, because when they come out, they don't have, they don't have the energy. They haven't done the, applied the tools to be able to stay now in the sympathetic 
and not drop right back down into the freeze response. I feel like I've talked your ear off, Laura. (laughs) Well, actually, I've been hanging on every word you've been saying, and I wish we had more time. I know we have to stop for now, but I guess let's just, if you can tell people about your summit, because that will be coming up after this episode airs. And I know there are a lot of people who are listening who are like, oh, wait, what are the biology things? <laughs> we just don't have enough time to go into it. But yeah, so I share I share my my work with the world uh, in an annual summit. And so this will be the second annual biology of trauma summit. I have, uh, again, this combination of functional medicine and trauma therapy. So I've got speakers from both sides and looking at what are, what are these biology factors that we can leverage in order to really help us move forward with our trauma therapy. And so I've got, oh my goodness, like we've got some amazing speakers this year, Dr. Gaber Mate, Dr. Peter Levine, Dr. Stephen Porges, Dr. Vincent Poletti, Robin Carmorse, who wrote the book, Scared Sick and Ghosts from the Nursery. One of the, uh, those I would consider those two books are, are some of the best out there for understanding the connection between childhood stress, trauma, what actually happens, what's the mechanism that happens in the nervous system that then results in adult disease. And I mean, yeah, I've got over 40 speakers. So it's a huge free resource for people to get information if they've been intrigued about this biology piece and some of the physiology around the trauma response and and then what to do about it because we want to do something about it. Yeah. Well, it sounds amazing. I can't wait to, I know I'm going to sign up. So I'm just very grateful to you for being my guest today. And let me ask you, where do people find your summit? Let's get that in here before we stop. (laughs) Yeah. So they can find my summit if they go uh, to my website, which is traumahealingaccelerated.com. They will be able to easily find the link in the registration page for the summit there. Okay, perfect. I'll put that in the show notes. And Dr. Amy, thank you so much for being my guest on Therapy Chat today. Thank you, Laura. And I just want to say thank you for what you're doing in the world. Really appreciate how you're showing up as well. Thank you. Back at you. <laughs> thank you to Therapy Notes for sponsoring this week's episode. I do love Therapy Notes. It's such an asset to my business and makes my job as a practice owner and a therapist much easier. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. Use coupon code CHAT or click the link in the show notes to get two free months at therapynotes.com. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Thank you.